Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. I'm Tracy from Stuff You Missed in History Class. Are you a small business owner or even someone who dreams of entrepreneurship? Then check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from iHeart Podcasts and Intuit QuickBooks. Join hosts Austin Hankwitz and Janice Torres as they interview entrepreneurs sharing insights around starting and nurturing a small business. You won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too. Planning your next trip? Choice Hotels family of 22 brands has over 7,400 locations and the perfect hotel for any traveler you want to be. Like a Cambria Hotel serving up locally inspired craft cocktails for all my folks who maybe want to meet up and talk about Mad Royals. Check into a Radisson Hotel with flexible workspaces for you strivers who listen during business travel. Or a Comfort Hotel with free hot breakfast, family-friendly pools, and big spacious rooms for the parents who listen with their kids and need a little retreat. What are you waiting for? Join Choice Privileges and start earning points toward your next stay. Find a stay for any you when you book direct at choicehotels.com, where travels come true. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. A big warm welcome to my new co-host, Sarah Dowdy. And Sarah just came back from Boston and had an interesting tale to tell. I did. Um, I was in Boston a little while ago and I was walking around uh, the North End Kind of on a cannoli tour, I'll be honest. <laughs> um, but a plaque caught my attention, um, and it was commemorating the site where the Sacco and Vanzetti Defense Committee functioned from 1925 to 27. Seems like it was kind of operating as maybe a yoga studio now, oh. judging by the <laughs> number of people with mats headed in. But um, it looked like it was the site of an important historical event. It was, and we've actually gotten a lot of reader requests for these Sacco and Vanzetti trials, so I'm glad we're doing this today. Um, but they were two Italian immigrants accused of murder back in the 1920s. But to give a little background, maybe we should talk about their lives before they got here. Yeah, um, Nicola Sacco and Bartolomeo Vanzetti both immigrated in 1908. Um, Sacco was an edge trimmer at a shoe factory in Massachusetts. Uh, Vanzetti, a fish peddler in Plymouth. So pretty uh, basic guys. And they were both involved in a lot of anarchist activities, which is sort of where the trouble starts. 
they had both written for the Cronica Soversiva, sorry if I'm not pronouncing that correctly, but it was an Italian anarchist newsletter. And so their names were already on the list of people to watch at the time. And they both belonged to the Grippo Autonomo, sorry again, um, an anarchist cell in East Boston um, that was really into the violent overthrow of the government. So probably not <laughs> the best thing to be involved in. No, lots of discovered bomb plots with that particular group. So to go back to what they're actually accused of, on April 15th in 1920, these two men were outside a shoe factory and they had the payroll, something about $15,000, and they were both shot and killed by a group of men. Mm-hmm. And uh, the eyewitnesses say that the robbers looked Italian. And that's definitely where the trouble starts. <laughs> so they had, I believe, seen a Buick that the men had gone away in. So the police started with that one particular clue. They were going to look for a Buick. And they found one in a nearby town at a garage. And I think they talked to the mechanic. Yeah. And said that, you know, if anyone came to call on it, let them know. So when Sacco and Benzetti showed up to Carrying up, their pistols, unfortunately. Yes. <laughs> okay, that's so good. <laughs> Nothing's working out for these guys. They showed up to pick up the car, and, of course, the mechanic gave a call into the police and told Sacco and Benzetti that they didn't want to pick up the car right then. It had the wrong plates, so they should come back. And when they did return, the police were waiting for them. And they also happened to lie to the police, which later at the trial was used as a consciousness of guilt excuse. Yeah, over the course of the trial, there were a lot of different stories that came out from both of them. Vanzetti later said he was kind of trying to protect his friends and fellow anarchists, but that's not really going to fly in a court of law. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But the trial in general ended up being a real mess. Judge Webster Thayer of the Massachusetts Superior Court, who uh, tried the case, um, here's a little language warning coming up, had already called them anarchist bastards. Uh, so his opinion was clearly skewed from the start. And a lot of other problems, a, a really incompetent lawyer, even though he was very uh, invested in the case, he was just not up to up to par. Well, I don't, I don't think he was a local, and he wasn't really familiar with how things went in that part of the country. And the jury was also very, very specially handpicked in a way that wasn't impartial either. Yeah, and the witnesses were kind of browbeaten. Um, People who sort of knew, you know, knew something about their alibis, the Italian witnesses were especially pressured. Uh, It was just all a big mess. And adding to the confusion, Sacco and Vanzetti didn't speak great English, and their interpreter, it's very possible, wasn't even answering, wasn't giving them the questions that, really that the helps, judge. Doesn't it? <laughs> it does. They weren't getting the right questions, and he may or may not have been relaying the correct answers. So they eventually replaced the first translator with someone else. But when there's a language barrier, that's a big deal. It is. So uh, Sacco and Vincetti were found guilty by the jury on July 14th and sentenced to death. But the trial went on for another, what, seven years, six years afterwards? The the debate went on, for sure. Um, people kept on calling for a retrial. And why this case is so famous and why people are still talking about it is um, the effect after the trial. Um, intellectuals and leftists really took up um, 
took up the cause of getting these guys a new trial, for one thing, because it had been so unfair, um, but also a lot of people felt that they had been, um, they had, they had been tried on their anarchist beliefs, not exactly. And for the crime. Of, well, and some of it didn't even make sense to go to the specifics of the trial. They were talking about identifying these men, you know, as the people who came to commit the murder. And one of their eyewitnesses was someone who originally had said that no, she couldn't tell where from where she was who it was because she had seen him from a distance of sixty to eighty feet away and originally said, you know, that no, she couldn't recognize him, yeah. but then was giving really detailed descriptions of, say, his hand. And yeah. there were other people who, again, at the time said maybe they weren't even there, they weren't looking, or when they saw guns, they'd hidden, and then later said that no, they could identify these men. Yeah. But there never was a strong identification. Actually, in the beginning, many of the police officers had said that they thought it was a gang of professional criminals and not, you know, two immigrants who had absolutely nothing on their records other than these anarchist activities. Yeah. Um, and that actually, you know, the gang of professionals kind of, seemed even more plausible when um, Celestino Medeiros, uh, who was already under a sentence for murder, this is a, a bit after um, after the trial, actually confessed to the crime, um, said he did it with the Joe Morelli gang. So, you know, a, a group of seasoned criminals, not a fishmonger and shoe factory trimmer. Well, and another thing about the trial, they never even tried to trace where the money would have gone from this robbery. Where did that $15,000 go? Because yeah. neither Sacco nor Vanzetti had it in their bank accounts, nor had they changed anything about their lifestyles, nor did the people in their lives seem to have any more money. So yeah. if we can't identify them and they don't have the money, you know, where is it what was coming from? Mm-hmm. What happened? Except the prejudice in the court and the judge who over and over again gave these ridiculous... I mean, you can read his summaries. One of them, I think... At near the end of the court is 25,000 words about how what they've done was fair and they don't need a retrial. But it's clearly not even remotely (laughs) objective if you give it a read. Yeah. And and just to show, um, you know, how concerned people were, there were demonstrations all around the world after uh, after this trial and especially nearing the execution date, um, which was a long time after they were uh tried um, seven years. They were in jail. Um, the governor of the state uh, set up an independent advisory committee that had um, Harvard president, MIT president, a former judge uh, trying to you know, decide if the trial had been fair. Uh, one good signifier of how concerned people were about whether this trial was fair is um, the governor actually felt compelled to make an independent advisory committee um, con- consisting of Harvard's president, MIT's president, a former judge, um, to actually go over everything. Instead of, um, uh, this would be, you know, to decide if they were going to do a retrial or not, um, or, you know, whether he was going to issue clemency. Um, he decided not to. The advisory committee stood with him. Um, so they were out of luck again. Well, and when you look at some of the things that happened during the trial, it seems impossible that they didn't have a retrial. It does. At one point, I think they had a, a ballistics expert, or at least an officer of the law, who had prearranged with the prosecutor how he wanted to present the evidence of the gun that Sacco had. Yeah. And they arranged it to say, 
the expert couldn't come in and say that it was shot from Sacco's gun because it wasn't. And he said, that would be perjury. I can't come into a court of law and say that. So instead, they arranged the language beforehand. So what the prosecutor said and what the expert answered made it sound like some double negatives going on. Exactly. And the, when the court interpreted it to the jury, that, of course, is how they interpreted it. And for some reason, the defense attorney didn't pick up that line of questioning. Yeah. And so it was just dropped. He was pretty hapless, it seemed. Well, and later when the expert came in and told that this happened, you would have think, you would think that that would be grounds for a retrial right there. Yeah. In 1969, a, a Supreme Court justice, uh, William Douglas, actually wrote that Someone reading the courtroom transcript would have difficulty believing that the trial in which it deals took place in the United States. It was just that backward. Some of it's heartbreaking when you are reading the transcript. I was reading one little excerpt between, I can't remember if it was Sacco or Vanzetti, and the lawyer, and you can tell that he doesn't understand the questions because they're asking him, you know, are you a Bolshevik? And he says he doesn't know what Bolshevism means. He said, are you a Soviet? And no, he doesn't know what Soviet means. And then they said, are you a communist? And he answers that, yes, that he'd bought some books on astronomy. So we know the trial didn't go well. um, But, you know, do we have any information now that helps us know, did these guys commit the crime? Because it it became, it did become, as you had mentioned, quite the co-celeb of the day. Their second lawyer had spent quite a bit of money putting out pamphlets and things and very much trying to use the media to their advantage to get a fair trial for these men. So do we think they were innocent men involved in this trial and just condemned before it ever started? Or was there some truth that maybe they had done some things they shouldn't have done? Well, later FBI ballistics reports kind of suggested that Sacco probably was guilty, Vincetti probably not. But there's a lot of disagreement on it still. I mean, in part because all the evidence was so shoddy and the... Witnesses' testimonies are skewed and unreliable because there wasn't a retrial. It's hard to tell even today. When some of the evidence was messed with, too, I think the gun was put together and taken apart so many different times. At some point, they weren't sure if it had been damaged yeah. beyond a belief. The ballistics report has to be taken with exactly. a Exactly. And there point. was a hat that was found at the crime scene that they'd, they'd made Sacco try on. And it turned out there was a hole in it. And someone said, oh, it was from a bullet. And then, no, actually, the police had actually. It's very proto-OJ, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Um And, I mean, another thing to keep in mind is just the climate of the country at the time. It it was not – these guys were Italian immigrants, and they were known anarchists. um, And that was a good step towards being guilty, just to start. Um, It was after World War I. Unemployment was really high. um, The economy was bad. um, And there was a Red Scare going on, which is not the Red Scare that – we normally think of, um, you know, McCarthy. McCarthy. Um, it was long before that, um, kind of started by uh, President Woodrow Wilson's attorney general, Palmer, who uh, had a bomb explode outside of his house and then just kind of went on an anti-communist, um, anti-anarchist crusade, um, kind of gunning for a presidential bid himself, a lot of people thought. Uh, but he was responsible sort of for heating up the the country with all this, you know, red fear. And you can see some of that in the trial transcripts again, or even from things the judge said, there are a lot of examples talking about war because Sacco and Vanzetti were also draft dodgers, which yeah. 
did not endear them no. to the jury <laughs> did not help in Massachusetts. And so they were asked several questions, you know, like, do you love your country? And, oh, well, you ran away from your country. You know, would you run away from your wife if she needed you? Into these ridiculous hyperbolic just arguments. Yeah. But the judge was talking about the pure light of truth and elevating them beyond the blindness and patriotism and, in general, inflaming the jury. Yeah, and, and just a few years before this crime, there were a lot of mass arrests and deportations um, due to Palmer. And um, the creation of the General Intelligence Division, which was actually headed up by J. Edgar Hoover, not a... Um, <laughs> definitely anti-communist there. Um and, you know, immigration uh, quotas started coming into play. Right. Um, so there was a lot of ethnic fear going on, too. Well, and a lot of people say, and Sacco and Benzetti later said, that the reason they lied in the beginning was because of fear, because of all these things that were going on. And they had recently yeah. had a friend, a fellow anarchist, arrested and put in custody and wasn't allowed to communicate with anyone. And I think he committed suicide. Yeah, he supposedly jumped off 14th floor of a building. And that's about the time they had decided maybe they should start getting rid of all of their anarchist pamphlets and such right as they got arrested. Yeah, and Ven- Vanzetti later said um, that's what he was doing. He was helping friends clear out their um, anarchist literature, uh, kind of preparing for May Day raids. And it's been suggested that Sacco and Vanzetti were actually on some sort of list and that maybe this was just this particular charge was trumped up to get them out at any cost and to get them deported. Sacco and Vanzetti were actually executed on August 23rd, 1927. And before they were killed, Sacco gave a quote, but what good is the evidence and what good is the argument? They're determined to kill us regardless of evidence of law of decency of everything. If they give us a delay tonight, it will only mean that they will kill us next week. Let us finish tonight. I'm weary of waiting seven years to die when they know all the time they, they intend to kill us. End quote. So that gives you an idea of what those seven years of appeals and motions were like for Sacco and Benzetti when they were sure that they were going to be executed. And they were. Yeah. Um, Fifty years after their death, um, the Massachusetts governor, Michael Dukakis, um, issued a proclamation saying that they had not been treated justly and that no stigma should be associated with their names. Kind of a retrial too late, but um, nevertheless. But something. Yeah. So whether you believe they're innocent or guilty, I think we can say with fairness that their trial should have been redone. And if you'd like to learn more about controversial court cases, please check out the website and the Stuff You Missed in History class blog at www.howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. And be sure to check out the Stuff You Missed in History Class blog on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! 
Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Looking to part ways with complicated, expensive, and uncertain shipping? Then give your business the edge it needs with USPS Ground Advantage Shipping from the United States Postal Service. Keep everything simple with clear upfront pricing and no unexpected surcharges. Keep things affordable with some of the lowest prices out there. And keep it all reliable with on-time ground shipments. It's time to turn shipping to your advantage. Learn how at USPS.com advantage. USPS Ground Advantage. Simple, affordable, reliable. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wounded! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really needs your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.